0: share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry, and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations, both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn.
1: So today we have the honor to interview Robert Butler, the head of performance for the St. Louis Cardinals, a top MLB team. So Robert, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Julian. Great to be here.
1: Great. So Robert, what I want to talk to you about today is first we'll talk about your background in elite sports, as well as your role with the St. Louis Cardinals, and then we'll discuss the best practices to interconnect data resources to inform uh, player curriculum, as well as identifying the objective measures to inform progress with a curriculum. Uh, And then we'll discuss your approach towards injury reduction, your favorite technologies, also what you would love to build if you had unlimited resources. And then lastly, we'll talk about Maybe some of the best players and coaches you work with so how does it sound
2: that sounds great it's gonna be exciting
1: great so uh you know first could you start by telling us about your background
2: yeah absolutely um i i think uh you know growing up as a kid uh i love i love sports i love athletics um yeah and uh but very quickly found myself as a well below average uh 20 year old goalkeeper in uh at a small college Mm -hmm. in the united united states and Um, but I was very passionate about it and enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, kind of like had an edge towards interest in, in footwear, mechanics of footwear and design of footwear and biomechanics. And so I kind of grew up with this real excitement about, um, about the technology behind, um, you know, Mm -hmm. equipment and other things. And, and you know, at the time, actually, when I was growing up, the Predator shoe from Adidas had just came on the market, which oh, yeah. was relative, you know, revolutionary with the fins and the spin and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, kind of, grow, you know, going through my PhD, I actually continued um, uh, down the soccer coaching path and working on my licenses at the same time. And really, going into soccer coaching was going to be something that I, I could easily see myself going down as a, as a, mm-hmm. versus the biomechanics path that I ended up doing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, fast forward, found myself in biomechanics, found myself kind of going forward to, on a path of an uh, investigator looking at how do we minimize early effects of our, of arthritis and, uh, and patients following ACL reconstruction. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I got down to, to really think, you know, think about the return to sport, return to play piece differently than maybe it was at the time, which was very much so the landing mechanics piece. I was more coming from the, uh, you know, are they ready for preseason piece? And how do we kind of connect mm-hmm. that jump landing to the return to, to what we would expect from a baseline activity? And yeah, there's just, just a, a gap, gap there. there. Yeah. And um and and the along with the gap and just the connection, there wasn't really a true logical way to connect or discuss or even communicate um, those ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. How do you get from the end of rehab really to readiness for sport? Really? back to where the person was before the injury happened. And mm-hmm. that's where a lot of my research started to kind of help on the communication piece and yeah. on curriculum and on structure and progressions. Um, and at that time, I'd actually just started at Duke university and, and uh, was lucky enough to be part of the FIFA medical center of excellence there working with uh, Dr. Bill Garrett, Dr. Robin Queen and others there. Um, yeah. And we started to have some great discussions about how do we think about the, the return to play piece differently, which really goes from, the injury, the the medical piece, all the way to integrating sports science, integrating workloads, integrating buildup, integrating the physiology, and eventually, obviously, getting to the to the coaching piece. And mm-hmm. uh, we ran into our fair share of of, of uh, hurdles along the way, and and certainly, I made my fair share of mistakes. But um, the communication piece and the, and the what are we trying to work on piece and the goal was just very key to our. Um, our, our progress, our continued kind of strive to to be better on a day-to-day basis. And um, so that actually got me into professional sport, consulting with uh, organizations um, in Major League Soccer, um, in the EPL, uh, uh, MLB, NBA, and just yeah. talking about how do we communicate pro- progress with workloads. And not to be right or wrong, but just to put a number on it to kind of think about what progress looks like.
1: So um, let me ask you, can I ask you something? So- it sounds sure. like from what you're saying, your early passion was soccer, right? So and then you ended up working for you know, a, a top baseball team. So mm-hmm. I guess my question is, as far as return to play, do you see a difference how you measure if a soccer player versus a baseball player is ready to return to play?
2: Yeah, it's very interesting part of my transition going from the FIFA Medical Center of Excellence, where we're really focused on lower extremity injury primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, And then thinking about the consultant work I was getting and the majority of the consulting work I was getting while I did a lot of sports, it was actually in MLB consulting for three teams at the time um, during my final years at Duke. And, you know, the interesting thing is the actual measures are the same or Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, the actual measures are very different upper body, lower body. When you think about what that um, what that the the KPIs, you would call them, that you would need to hit for, um, you know, a throwing program, kicking program, whatever it may be. But the spirit and the discussions and the process you go through to identify those, it wasn't different Mm -hmm. at all. Okay, it wasn't so whether you know, and you could take, you could put, you could put American football in there, you could put rugby in there, you could put rowing in there, you could put field hockey. The spirit behind which we thought about, okay, what needs to occur before this, or what can we do at the same time as this, because it's not limiting by the injury or by the progress. That was the same no matter what the sport was or the activity was. And so that was the relatively simple part of the discussion and the ability to pivot. The the discussion points didn't pivot. It was just what was the um, skill involved that we were trying to to get towards. Um, And then in the end, just got towards the end of my time at Duke where uh, I found myself more excited about the day-to-day activity role, the idea that scale things, particularly with Major League Baseball um, domestically. Um, It's one of the few sports that really has a true – academy type model when we think about the 16 year olds we see over at the Dominican Republic academies up to our yep. major league squad and thinking about that scale thinking about that structure thinking about that curriculum um and then the opportunity to join the cardinals in 2016 and uh have been very honored to, and uh and uh, privileged to do so since then
1: no that's great so could you tell me a bit more about your roles and responsibilities for cardinals and, and you know what does your typical day looks like
2: yeah um i could definitely tell you typical day um yeah but they uh, they all change, right? They're always there's always something new and exciting around uh, uh uh-huh. with each flip of the calendar. Um so I currently oversee the strength and conditioning, sports science, nutritional supplementation, um, mental strength and well-being, and technology integration for really the entire organization as we think about going from the Dominican Republic up to our St. Louis team. I mm-hmm. also oversee the Meyer League Medical, which is from our triple A team Deep, kind of down kind to our down. Dominican Republic. Um, yep. and then work closely with our head athletic trainers, um, with our big league club related to our medical and preventive practices with our with our major league team. Um, and so, on a given day, it's really a matter of how do we make sure that the protocols and processes that we have are going on across all those different locations? Um, seven teams in six different locations um, mm-hmm. that that really starts in early February and goes until sometime uh in october hopefully and keep going longer and longer um yep. and the the notion that we actually are having that data carry with the players and that information carry with the players to optimize their transition across the different levels because really unless you're in at the top club the goal is that you go to somewhere else and when you go to somewhere else we hope we um Our vision is that your performance program travels with you as well, so we Mm -hmm. maximize your availability and your productivity uh, at the next level you go to. um, Using some of the the basic metrics we use that we retest kind of throughout the season and that help drive the players curriculum so that's my main goal and then, in addition to that we have some overarching themes. uh, That we help throughout the in connection with amateur scouting where we oversee the draft medical piece of their process to give them feedback on potential risk. Kind of going forward which is kind of a secondary or parallel piece kind of throughout the season but um, kind of has a longer vision than the day-to-day adjustments that we have um, with the uh, with the uh, the affiliate clubs and with the major league team
1: that makes sense and you know so one of my favorite movie by the way is moneyball right with brad Pitt about sure. the uh, Oakland A's. Um because you work in soccer and then baseball right how would mm-hmm. you say is how important are, is data analyzing the data like, I know, you know, I think that the perception that for baseball is super important, right? Mm-hmm. But do you feel like in soccer, it, it's just as important in terms of scouting and maybe injury reduction too?
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, I would say that my time with uh, the, the connecting with soccer, it's probably been pre- nine years since I really kind of got into it, 10 years since yeah. I got into it with some of the teams I was working with. But I do think that now I've kind of reconnected through some colleagues, through uh, the leaders and performance group and others. Um, mm-hmm. And when you think about it's interesting to hear them kind of talk about how they've they've borrowed from baseball yeah right yeah. and then and then also understanding kind of the way that that i see them being advanced in other areas when i think about how the different ways in which they scout and why scout and like other other technologies that have kind of evolved that are very different than um than kind of what is housed through a uh um through a more isolated market for lack of yeah. a better term nice. um but i do think the way in which uh th- the data is is gathered and how it kind of impacts from a day-to-day and from an injury prevention standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's similar in a lot of ways when we think about what the, the, the tracking is I, I, with the the biggest difference, honestly, being, you know, there's a lot of papers that are published in soccer literature and they talk about match day one, match day plus two, yep. Like yep. all the Well, I mean, for baseball match days every day, pretty much. And so yeah, it's it a different ebb it. and flow. Right. And so we think about how, how may our, um, KPI's adjust or be evolved or expectation them be evolved or how we, how we uh, respond to them differ based Mm -hmm. upon um, our kind of the the nature of the environment that is professional baseball, which is inherently not replicated anywhere else in any other sporting environment um, uh, across the
1: globe. Yeah, that that makes sense. Good point. I mean, from my perspective, I think the MLS clubs, the MLS teams are pretty advanced you know, I don't think they uh, uh, compare, let's say, to Premier League clubs, La Liga, mm-hmm. or they're pretty advanced when it comes to data analytics and the use of technology. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're behind mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they've gone a long way. Um, so, um, but, yeah, so yeah, I, I
2: wouldn't disagree with that, but the teams that I talk to most, it's more of a human capital issue than it is actually a resource, right. or a technical capital issue, right? The analytics yeah. are there. drivers are there it's really more of do we have the staff to pull off what we we would see at a larger club with more resources um and certainly i think some of the differences are when you think about the the different models from the academy structure from major league soccer um the on-site versus the um the uh the the travel or the commuter model it's just different when you think about that parallel and kind of what that the long-term curriculum looks like but i i I would agree that it, it doesn't appear to be. Certainly, the gap is not as significant as uh, as as it could have been considered even ten years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, I think to your point, if you let's say Toronto FC or LA Galaxy, you know, you got more resources compared to some other smaller teams. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the comparison across the board between MLS team and Premier League club, I think Mm -hmm. the 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 gap has been uh, getting smaller, (coughs) Mm -hmm. getting smaller and smaller. I think. Um, So uh, great. So next question is. What are the best practices to interconnect data resources to inform player curriculum as well as identifying the objective measures to inform progress within a curriculum right, so what is your take on that.
2: yeah no I I think that that's really the hallmark of development kind of this discussion and so. um, it's it's not uncommon when when we get really into the weeds with um, where we're going that that i'll simply pull it out to a more. uh, elementary school environment of like what would happen in like a with a 10-year-old classroom Mm -hmm. like let's not get let's not make this too complicated nor too simple so I think the first thing with that is like what is the goal we're trying to achieve like that needs to be outlined pretty clearly and then what are the metrics that determine an increased likelihood of, of, of obtaining that goal now particularly in sports there tends to be different pockets that are different you know for us it's pitchers have a different pocket than a position player even the positions have different you know uh Mm -hmm. metrics that need to be improved in um but then beyond defining the specific goals it's like okay what's the curriculum that you see in order to to reach those goals right and and Mm -hmm. often it's you know what does that look like how do we have it how does it scale and then when i then this is kind of where the academic side of my background of being in in um in uh, in university education for over 10 years i think as much as i struggled being the researcher in an academic environment um you know we we really had to think intentionally about how we structured our classroom to get the most out of out of the sessions we have particularly at the medical school at duke when you're competing against the high level anatomy physiology neurology courses how do we pull them into the to the to the movement science content um that just doesn't have necessarily the uh the, the, the tend of load academic or cognitive load but it certainly has a much lo- you know stronger uh, uh, application to their to their future and, and and the notion was how do we how do we create a different environment to understand who needs what right what, what do they actually need to, to further their understanding and not not kind of trying to um, I guess catch them off guard by what they don't know but like let's actually you know be upfront with hey this is what you're not good at how do we fill that gap? From a knowledge-based standpoint, mm-hmm. and, and actually, is there a way you can learn from your peers as well as your coaches or your you know the, the instructor um, to fill that? Gap, to mm-hmm. So you maybe, maybe have a different voice that that you're able to learn from and to um, to to gather information and, and to really develop from. And so the curriculum, and then how do we actually grow within that curriculum was was an inter- in, uh, interesting part of it. And then the idea of using data points, simple data points. Um, mm-hmm. That are known and no, not, it's not it's hidden, it's but it's just it's actually it's available everyone, um, to everyone to guide that. And you know, hey, listen, we we saw you got so and so on this quiz. You know, we'd like that to be closer to uh, nine out of ten or ten out of ten. Mm-hmm. What, what did we have there? And then what are the resources we can provide you to kind of move in that direction? And so I think too often it's a matter of we think that the tech in and of itself provides the answer, which is rarely the case. I think from our standpoint, when we look at technology, you know, first of all, if we don't have the curriculum and understand kind of the gaps between our objective measures from like our goals, like that's our first step. And knowing that if we have a gap here that technology can help us fill in a more objective, time efficient um, and transparent way to optimize the players and the coaches success related to that learning efficiency, then, then that's a win for us. But I do think that starting off with a transparent curriculum, a transparent set of goals you're trying to reach, as well as an understanding of being upfront and transparent about, hey, this is why we're doing X as opposed to Y for you from a training or development standpoint, Mm -hmm. really op, you know, that's the way um, to really think about how to optimize leveraging information to support the overall curriculum. So, not necessarily, so it's really kind of intertwined. As opposed to kind of being this this different thing entirely,
0: um, yeah. And and I,
2: that, that, yeah. And I believe that. And I believe sometimes when it, sometime. when the connection's lost it's because we we simply aren't open enough to the to the uh, end user or the player about hey, listen, like this may not be the answer all the time. We're still trying to figure this out ourselves. Rarely in all things is, or rarely in things related to development or learning is there sing, is there one simple answer that works for everyone. But you can yeah. have a best answer that tends to work but then make adjustments if that intervention or resource kind of isn't affecting this player or student the way you would have expected.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a good point. And I think what you just said about defining the goals early on, like what are you trying to uh, achieve, right? I mean, what metrics are you trying to achieve? And I mm-hmm. feel like sometimes, this is my, my opinion, right? But I feel like sometimes the teams are not always spending the time to identify the goals. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to technology, they want to say, "Oh, I want this, I want that," but they're not really thinking about, you know, what KPIs, what goes to achieve, right? Based yeah. on that. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah, it's actually I it, I try to go away from using the term KPIs to be honest yeah. with you, just because yeah. I think it actually it's just goals. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, it, I, I was talking to a colleague last summer or last fall, and I was like, you know, we talk about the 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 smart. Goal setting structure from like the the early '80s was developed from an economic standpoint, and mm-hmm. it was almost like when did smart goals become stupid? Which is you know little little slang there, but like if you go back to the fundamentals of having a smart goal setting structure, if you do that very well, then you can worry about the next step of what goal setting is.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But when we think about specific, time sensitive, attainable like measurable if you're doing that you're in a very high level of practitioner currently Mm -hmm. and then if you have a curriculum that intertwines that it's even at a different level of kind of application integration yeah And and so i think that you know there's a lot while we try to reach for the next shiny object that that we don't have yet for whatever reason. I really we inherently attempt to drive the fact that communication and learning curriculum and process. Is where we need to spend the majority of our focus and not in a way that there are black boxes, but in a way that there's more transparency so we can get more feedback on how to make it better.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I, you know, one of my friend um... Dr. Bill Burgos used to work for the Knicks, uh, Timberwolves, and, and Magic. And he was talking about what you just said, the importance of communication, right? Whenever, let's say, he wants to introduce a new technology, mm-hmm. he's got to get the buy-in from the head coach, you know, from the staff. Mm-hmm. And, but not mm-hmm. only that, but when you start using those, you know, those technologies and getting the metrics, you have to communicate that back to the teams. Otherwise, yep. they're not going to see the benefits. Why are we using this tech, right, yep. for example? Uh, and sometimes the lack of communication is a problem, right?
2: Yeah, and I and I think also being, I think the part of it that that, that I think that that I probably come from from an academic standpoint is there's going to be a lot of error and variability with this technology, mm-hmm. and as opposed to running from it and thinking it's perfect, let's identify what it is, and so that when we start to talk to a player and we well and the staff start to learn about how to integrate or using something new, hey, here are the biggest rocks that are most stable that provide us the best return on investment by focusing on, so we're going yeah. to focus on, you know, while you, while this device can output 25,000 thing, we're going to focus on these three, these
0: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And if you can do better, like just get to one, this is the one thing we're going to work on. Yeah. And so just funneling the idea that there's stuff on the periphery that is, um, that has more error associated with it, which is not a problem. There's error in temperature measurements. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's error all over the place, but look, so error is not the problem, but just admitting it. What is the acceptable error is, mm-hmm. I, I think it helps be human with everyone around you related to what you're trying to do, because just like a coach is trying to put together the best game plan to have the greatest success tonight. Mm-hmm. There's error in their projection. Same yeah. thing with the players. And and so I think it humanizes what tends to happen. You know, The term sports scientist is, has kind of been a little sideways for me. And we actually had a good discussion with a couple people uh, last week about just, cause I, I think it's a little, um, Overused. I, I don't know that overused, but I think it, it tends to come with a level of, um, a little level of like, uh, just uh, what's the term? I want to like it comes at a level oh, wow. of just, um, like almost over, like an above the coach, because they're a scientist.
1: Oh, yeah. OK, and that's so, what you mean. So
2: it, it's almost like they've jumped from a practitioner to being this like uh, this supervisor. And that's not, you know, so it's really when you think about what sports science is, right? And so it, it I, I think the term scientist in a um, it's actually one of the things that we've the words we've used in the way we've we try to um, discuss staff um, uh, titles has is, is been something that's, that 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 we take probably more time than than, than others do because because mm-hmm. we because the worst thing that could potentially happen to us staff members for us to give them the wrong title that all of a sudden gives someone else a bias mm-hmm. against them yeah. and doesn't give the chance to connect because if we don't have the ch- chance to connect we we are going to be inefficient with our communication and if mm-hmm. we're inefficient with our communication then we're really going to have to take, we're not going to be as effective from a long-term standpoint as we or from a short-term standpoint as we could be if we didn't have that hurdle in front of us. And so I think the times the term sports scientist just comes in at a, at a very um, highly perceived level that I, that I think if you just change the term to um, uh, uh sports uh, like performance um, assistant or performance technology assistant or something of that nature that just said, hey, we're just here to or performance technology support something of that nature. Um, I, I think it, it could really pull down some hurdles and maximize the chance to to integrate and to, to serve in a way yeah. differently than, than another term could be. Um, and similarly, but it's, it's kind of no different than how do you present data? Mm-hmm. You
1: know? I mean,
2: how far away do you want the person to be from really understanding what you're talking about? Right? I go back to the workload discussions early on from like the early 2000s and talking about, you know, um, workload being in AUs or arbitrary units. So call them what you want to, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how, how does that relate to a coach? And how does that relate to a physio? Or how does that? And and so, some context around what that is, so that people understand the meaning yeah. of it, that's to me, the hardest thing to do, but the most important thing to do.
0: yeah,
1: and it's that's easy to collect where...
0: the
2: data. It's hard to actually make it
1: applicable. Well, I think that it goes back to communication, right? I feel like sometimes that's where some of the vendors or tech companies they fail to art- articulate or make it you know um understandable uh, for the coaches and different people within the organization, because they speak different languages. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why they don't spend enough time working on that. I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think the
2: the common language thing you just mentioned is key. And I, and I, and I, and it's, um, and being able to, to ask people, did they really mean the term they just used or could they clarify the term they just used is also key Mm -hmm. because there's too many, I mean, I still remember, um, early on, you know, the term stability is a, a big thing in the performance yeah. space. And you think about, and then I was like, Oh, let's, let's just define it. Since we're having so many discussions about it, let's define it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, the way we use stability, that's probably not the best term. Let's call it something different. Mm-hmm. And and that's okay. Because once again, it wasn't about us. Is the communication trumped everything. And so it, it took a little bit of, Hey, remember, that's not, we don't call it that. We call it that it's not, it's not. It's not personal yeah the goal is for us to be better as a group than we are separated from each other and so Mm -hmm. and really the goal is to support the player that's the goal yeah so if we all have different definitions then we're all going to do different things as opposed to understanding exactly what we're trying to do to give the best service possible back to the organization which i think is um creating an environment where you're comfortable asking for follow and and kind of ensuring that we know what we're saying as opposed to just assuming um, I, I think it's, 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 it's way more important and way less valued or way less kind of, uh, monitored, um, kind of thinking about the different environments that, that, that I've been in, uh, across, uh, uh, just other
1: areas. Yeah, that makes sense. So, Hey, um, <clears throat> the next topic I want to discuss with you is, um, inji- I, I'm going to call it injury reduction, I didn't call it injury re- prevention, which is kind of was a buzzword used by a lot of the vendors, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, we can help prevent injuries, right? And when you talk mm-hmm. to practitioners, they'll tell you nobody can prevent inju- injuries. Yeah. So wh- what is your approach towards injury reduction for you?
2: Yeah, I think the main thing is um, is balancing out when you think uh, what the gold standard from a day-to-day basis, and we talked about this a little bit. Yeah early on is we we play baseball every single day in the season
0: um,
2: pretty much and so when we think about how do we try to um, keep the players playing on a day-to-day basis which is really what injury reduction is right we want to reduce the amount of time they are unavailable and maximize Mm -hmm. the amount of time they are available Um, the majority of it comes from having a leveraging um, evidence-informed practices related to um related to large muscle groups uh, in the lower body and then kind of some of the um specific muscle groups as it relates to uh, the throwing motion and the hitting motion which is common in, in baseball but then also understanding the workloads from a day-to-day standpoint mm-hmm. the i shouldn't say workload workload tends to get kind of a bad rap just the amount of activity they do related yep. to your job Right on a day to day basis, but then also um, from a holistic standpoint, what happens across the entire scope of their um, of their uh, of their day um, and then seeing how does their body respond to that? And seeing yeah. what is what do they do? And so we kind of have that, you know, the, you leverage from the 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 research as much as possible, kind of what are some standard things that work for, particularly you know in the um, in the upper extremity. Um, Depending upon which decade you decide to look at the literature, you may think uh, total range of motion is important for this arc and some of it's not. And then this metrics more. And so I think that it's does the player continue to fall within a bandwidth of what is considered acceptable or normal? And if not, are we working them to kind of return to normal so that they get in their own homeostasis and that they can maintain that across the scope of the season? So they're not running up against the end ranges, which may lead to, um, uh, a reduction in their availability. And so global programming from us, from a, um, from a you know, our, our first line of injury reduction is our strength conditioning program. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what goes into that is our, um, is our, is our baseline testing. to understand that what is the general way in which the players move in order to inform what's our best way to kind of progress their movement loads um kind of in our controlled manner and then kind of also to give them some um some movement packages or movement supplements that they need to kind of get them in once again into a bandwidth of what's what's normal for them or, or what's normal from us from a standard of movement related to um kind of some of our organizational norm uh, relation as well as kind of what we see at the at the upper levels of success yeah. so really it's a matter of having a foundational philosophy of what needs to be carried out to, to maintain, but then also understanding what does the player need to individualize their approach on a day-to-day basis to keep them within a bandwidth of health um, um, so that we can kind of track uh, their success and then track them once again, not in a single location, but across multiple locations. And yeah, some of that tracking and monitoring will be will change its frequency based upon the amount of activity that the player has related to kind of their game performance.
1: Yeah, I like your definition of the product and it makes sense. So, uh, you know, so I guess my next question is, when you're looking to adopt and biotechnology, right? What are the things that are important to you? Is it because maybe the vendor, they know how to work with the teams or maybe the, the product really fits into your workflow? Uh, I mean, what are you looking for when you're looking to work with a new vendor?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And I think some of this goes back to, we talked earlier about having a curriculum, knowing where your gaps yeah. are, how we can leverage specific um technology help us fill a gap or maybe be clearer about something we felt we already have um, um, a technology for because often i mean and and this is part of when you have a structure and a process and a kind of a curriculum that that we continue to build on um, from our performance department um, often staff will say hey what about this and my first Mm -hmm. response is like hey this is this is the potential to be good where does it fit how does it help us communicate better and yeah. so it's really a more interactive approach as opposed to it's not a yes or no to anything. Mm-hmm. It's really a matter of like, what's the fit, what's the balance of, of of kind of helping and supporting the organization. And so our best interactions or most successful interactions with vendors tend to come with those that um, are really transparent and open mm-hmm. with their process on how to be able to grow their uh, their data and also allow a way for us to access and manipulate it in a way that kind of we take responsibility for. Mm-hmm. So the things that happen kind of behind the black box, the thing that happen um, um, kind of all on on um, on the vendor's side, that tends to be, those tend to be the relationships that just don't tend to that, that don't tend to work out very well from our yeah. standpoint because we we try to have a true collaborative approach. Yeah. Um, we we tend to kind of we we we'll often have a pilot process Uh to really understand while we think this is exciting, what does it look like in our hands? Do Uh we have the reliability that we would expect? Do we, do we, you know, we often teams will talk or, you know, the, the, the scientific community will talk about validity, right? Which is like some comparison to a gold standard. Yeah. We've talked about validity as being, do we know what it means when we talk about it? Mm-hmm. Right, like what what is the objective? What is a specific thing? What What's the validity to us or internally? Um, and so during that time we can figure out what's our reliability? What's the validity to us that we can talk about? Um, what's the mean detectable change? And so it takes some time to figure out what that What that is and so it's where that we will kind of say okay, we're gonna we're gonna jump in and buy a hundred units of X and we'll yeah. really start to implement it because Because while it may work, once again, on the performance side within our department, we're always trying to figure out how do we support and how do we serve either player development, um, the major league coaching staff, uh, amateur scouting. And so there's always a next layer that we're trying to translate. This information from. And so. um, Or interpret in some capacities, to be honest with you, like to to help them tell their story or help support them in their day to day. And so. that yep. takes time that takes time and so those vendors that that work that understand that collaboration and value that collaboration and and value that process i think we do we tend to find the most success with um, those that have said no the the product's finished and and we're good that it, it we tend to struggle a little bit more with because um because we've it's i don't know that we've i can't remember the last product on the performance side that we kind of bought and plugged and played and we're done with
1: it. Yeah, it's, so you it's really expensive. have to. You, so you want to work with companies that really understand, they're willing to work with you, not just hey, here is the product, but they really want to understand your pain point and, and work with you, right?
2: Yeah, just understand the workflow and yeah. have a dialogue about how do we how do we grow, how does this get better, how does this best support, and um, and what is the how does the feedback biofeedback process look like to think about this fitting into. Either aren't you know curriculum within the performance side, or even kind of you know working into the player development side as well.
1: Yeah, uh, that makes sense. And of course, if you find out uh, that maybe a particular vendor works with some of your direct competitors, meaning teams mm-hmm. or a large number of teams, that's also, I guess, an indication that you know what maybe we need to use that as well. Maybe or maybe not, right? Uh, but that's maybe uh, could be a factor too, right?
2: Yeah, there's no doubt that success leaves clues and right. so i think that that is certainly something to pay attention to but I, there are also te- just like in any sport there's always teams that tend to have 10 of everything yeah. um yeah. and you know while that's helpful and you, you know teams are certainly able to to uh to help it we you know i, I go back to um to the quote in um in the uh, the all blacks book legacy that talks mm-hmm. about really, you know, a lot of high performance is learning what to say no to. Yeah. And so, you know, and I think it's, it's you're more efficient in what you say no to when you understand what your curriculum is, what you understand your goals are, and then how do you make your decisions and know where your gaps are that, that can better support the overall process. Mm-hmm. And so I think yeah. that some of those pieces kind of help themselves. And so while it's always helpful to, it's potentially, there can be a potential of having more. I think there's also a, a lot of knowing what what you are working towards, as opposed to everything being on board, like it's good to review everything, but you know, without you know, there's. But the most I think efficient you know. groups tend to have a process they work through um, that's that's established and they know that kind of gives them their north star on a day to day basis.
1: Yeah, and also you know, going back to your point earlier, if you're a, a limited number of staff and you keep adding devices, that's a problem, right? Because you don't have <laughs> enough staff members to support and and use those devices, right? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. So that could become a problem, mm-hmm. uh, depends on the size of your staff, right? Really.
2: Yeah, no, and and I think that some sometimes the staff just don't level it as much as the person that recommended it, mm-hmm. and and that's it's not good or bad, but it's an understanding of th- rethinking. Okay, what are we here for? What's our purpose? You know, what you know, who's going to champion this to really yeah. give it enough legs for us to figure out what this means or doesn't mean. I still remember the first time we brought in a wearable device, and yeah, and. Uh, and we had a staff member said, "Oh, we don't believe in it anyway." And I said, hey, well, wait a second. I, I, I'm not. sure. I mean, we believe it enough to buy the devices to really learn about them more. So there's some like, you know, in de- intellectual investment here to mm-hmm. to discuss. And so let's let's give it time to have curiosity. And and in the end, what, and some of that, I would say, is more of a a failure on my part of thinking about okay, because um, I'll be the first to say, you know, it's not that we not that we have validity and know, ninety-five percent of things, but here's a couple of things we really want to anchor on to kind of drive some discussions um, to to see how we can support the uh, the players and and staff at a, you yep. know beyond just the department. So um, you know, a lot of that is is really um, being you know showing patience in the messaging as you bring things on to give time to learn um, about how this can this can uh, impact and support the the organization and and the specific parts of the organization.
1: Yeah. that makes sense. Hey, uh, last two questions, because um, one of my first question is, or next question is, if you had unlimited resources, money, engineering resources, staff, what would you build as far as technology and why, or what system would you build?
2: So I think it would involve turning the field into the classroom as closely as possible. Mm-hmm. And you know you've seen some of it now related to whether it's the portable monitors. Um, I, I I would encourage the portable monitors are a thing, but I would also support that just hearing and listening is a is, is a piece as well. Um, because I mm-hmm. think at times, if, if you if you even think about the majority of our spaces, they're outdoors. Um, you know, if you're in basketball or where it's indoors, there's usually someone practicing next to you unless you have the gym all yourself. Um, mm-hmm. But knowing if the person has listened enough and actually interpreted it correctly, whatever was said. And so it would be a place where we had the resources that have an active teaching environment right where the teaching need to happen. Mm -hmm. And so the opportunity to, you know, view the video of a drill, view the, you know, provide the, the, uh, the, the player an opportunity for a correction, have some consistent view of what occurred to make sure that we recreate what the successful goal is mm-hmm. I mean, if nothing else over the past 15 to 20 years. I, I think we all know that our memory and recollection of what just happened, unless it's on video, we're, we're really disconnected on that. And the further mm-hmm. away you get from whatever happened, the worse, the memory, or the more your brain's trying to fill in whatever it doesn't really recall, and so I think often when we have that player-coach dialogue or teacher-student dialogue, it, we really need to recreate. This is what happened, and this is what we're talking about. To be precise yeah. and driven on exactly what the difference is and the why behind why we're trying to teach that. Yeah, and so, right. um, yeah. and the the other piece of it will once again be when I, I think about our our. Um, our culture or our culture or community from a baseball standpoint we have um we've got play, we've got internet it's an international community of learning
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so how do you how do you translate effectively in a way that really everyone understands it to optimize their development and learning and so that would be a very important part of the curriculum you know when you think about e- even the 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 different dialects of the latin american community is it in the yep. one that they Learn the most or most efficiently in, and you know, because we really encourage, we develop them from a from an English standpoint, and they have classes for that. But but what if we were to reach them where they were at to help them? And and it's it's some earbud solution, it's some live translator. Yeah. Like there's, I mean, it, you know, it, it's probably like the UN with with a bunch of different resources, and not suggesting mm-hmm. somehow that this is something we uh, um, we go into. But it comes back to, do we have the communication? that's right we have the learning environment right and can we provide feedback not for every single little thing that's not what it's about but to go the depth we need to go and then provide some variable feedback as you need to and then once again all of it is in preparation for what the gold standard is which is performance in the game on a night-to-night basis so that's that's uh there's a lot of things there to build in that little uh, ecosystem there but um that that would that would be a really amazing project to think about how to kind of cross-pollinate those two um parts of my uh parts of my uh um, professional background and and to see what you can do with that
1: yeah that's great and we have we have a lot of startups tech companies listening so to the podcast so hopefully, you know uh they can help you with that um hey uh last question is uh you don't have to be specific but what are the best players and coaches you work with or maybe the types of players and coaches that you work with and why
2: yeah i mean i think that the Um, I'm very fortunate over the past eight years in my career within the organization to have future Hall of Famers that were there and then also see future Hall of Famers kind of come into the organization. Um, And then also developing who we aim to be the next, you know, Hall of Famers. Um, And the thing that we see consistently with them is there's no one thing they all do other than elite skill performance mm-hmm so there's no one wearable there's no one stretch there's no one lifting routine there's no one protein supplement um, but they are consistent with their preparation on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. and they are constantly learning about how to get better interesting and that's what all of them tend to do and I would say that we see the same thing on um, the coaching side as well there's a there's n- notebooks Right, I think there, there's there is a lot of power that's left um, in just writing down your notes and thoughts on a day-to-day basis. And so that's again, important that's, to you, it's, yeah,
1: to reflect. You mean on your thoughts
2: and 100%. And if, I mean, if you think about like you know, and some of it's the whole typing process, and you know, there's there's enough kind of supportive literature now to know that just the idea of like remembering something long enough to write it down and then reflect through the writing and then to go back to it. Mm -hmm. Really gives you a chance to remember things and put it more in your short-term memory with potential for long-term memory holding, depending upon how often you reflect on it. Um, and so you know, one of the things that we've done organizationally is literally just had notebooks around. Interesting. It's not, you know, it's it's not a big thing at all. But it goes back to what are your goals? What are we trying to learn from? What are we trying to move towards? Um, mainly because that's what we see the best of the best do. Yeah. They have, they are reflective of what happened on a day-to-day basis and that allows them their success to learn from their past to create a more successful future kind of going forward with the idea of of having some stability that that daily preparation is what they can control Mm -hmm. they can control what they do on a day-to-day basis and that gives them some foundation to kind of work from what happens in the game they've got to adjust to right mm-hmm. but they can learn from whatever happened the night before the last time they faced this opponent before to figure yep. out how to prepare better on a day-to-day to figure out how to pre- to create an optimized kind of future from from learning from that information but I think that that day-to-day preparation that consistency um, and that reflective piece would be things that really stand out amongst amongst that group of high performers without a doubt
1: oh that's funny man because that reminds me in soccer right I remember watching the was a psg game and the, the soccer coach for psg was just having a, a notebook and people almost like you know made fun of it but i think it, it it's a great tool to help remember you know what next time you play that team mm-hmm. just think about you know the way to play them right mm-hmm. so it's it's super important um mm-hmm. and i think people forget that it's a it's a great philosophy to have so um
2: I, I, we are over stimulated with information now there's no doubt about it yeah and because I, I i would doubt that anyone would look in that notebook and see something earth shattering there
1: no yeah it
2: was probably a very simple technical point to remind Mm -hmm. them when the next time they had this opponent let's remember this and not get caught the same way yeah or let's attack a different way or whatever it may be and so it's not it's very rarely about the newness or uniqueness of the information as much as the newness and uniqueness of the skill to consistently reflect and value that reflection enough on a day-to-day process to lead to day-to-day gains because that is you know we we we, we kind of talked i was down with some of our younger players last week in similar discussion and it's like listen the recipe is not hard consistently following the recipe
1: is hard yeah consistency yeah yeah
2: yeah
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's like every, everything in life right mm-hmm. if you don't work on on your i guess your Uh, your skills or, you know, every single day, you're not going to make steady progress. Right.
2: So, well, and, and not to bring it back, but it's, it's about the goal setting, right? I think that the, you know, when you think about the goal setting and the process for that, there's going to be something different that that other, that the game or your coaches see about you that you may not want to work on. Right. Like if I'm a, if I'm a really good, um, I mean, just, I'll go back, I'll go back to, um, you know i I loved when I was a very well below average goalkeeper i loved i loved to work on my distribution uh-huh. Cause i i because I was above average at it it's the only thing I was above average I hate working on crosses yeah because I was five eleven but it's the the thing I needed was to work on my crosses uh-huh. and so if we were to think about it, if I go back and rebuild the curriculum to make me a slightly better version of myself, it certainly would have You know, I needed four inches to be Schmeichel. So like, you know, there's there's some distance (laughs) there physically as well. But like what I needed was I needed more of what I wasn't good at. And I needed from a development process And that doesn't mean I take away the things I have fun with or enjoy. But there's a redistribution of what you need to create progress and development. Mm -hmm. And so I think too often the things we want to work on are the things we're already good at. The best work on the things that they're not good at to make them better and not limiting factors related to their success. Mm
1: Yeah, that's a great, great, great point. So, look, we we are at the end of the the podcast interview, but I want to thank you for your time today. Great insights.
2: Thanks, Julie. Appreciate the time.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by IBAudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.